I've always been the the technology guy. I feel like I, I struggle, you know, at parties when people find out that I've been in politics and then they want to like talk about politics. And I'm like, well, there's a lot I know about how campaigns work. I mean, I'm not really the guy who's who can speculate about should somebody have done this or that, unless it's talking about how they built their data infrastructure. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Chris Wegerson, a founder of Blue Labs, which uses data science to help campaigns, businesses, and the government solve hard problems. Chris made himself into a force in the Democratic Party data, tech, and analytics space, using his technical skills to help campaigns operate more efficiently. He's a good story of how he placed himself in the middle of things, beginning with the first Obama presidential campaign and then at the DNC before founding Blue Labs. I also asked him why he has recently moved to emeritus status with Blue Labs and is looking for new challenges. So if you're interested in the intersection of data science with politics and entrepreneurship and how campaigns use data, you'll want to listen. So my sponsor, then my interview with Chris Wegerson of Blue Labs. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Timeplots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Chris, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Um, Chris Wegerson, a uh, co-founder of Blue Labs, and uh, I guess you know, longtime political data hack. Now, what is a political data hack? <laughs> That's a, a, a good good question. Is hack from hacker like? No, I mean, kind of like, you know, somebody who's, uh, you know, who's been in it, the like political hack, sort of like I'm uh, part of the system. That's it. I'm, I'm sort of part of the system now. I know you went to Carnegie Mellon. What does that mean about where you grew up? You must have been an excellent student in high school, but like, what, what's the family like? What's the background like that takes you down a path to a pretty high powered technical place like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I was um, raised in sort of a, a very sort of high tech, well educated, um, you know, household. Uh, myself, you know, both of my parents were um, engineers. My dad had done sort of math and physics and computers and different sort of permutations in, um, you know, in uh, you know college and and after always had computers around the the house and you know I remember in second or third grade going to the town library our town library had a book sale and I found these two books about the basic programming language there are some kids on the front cover 
with like, uh, you know, green and black CRT. And like, it was probably from like the 70s or 80s. There was like an orange shag carpet um, underneath. And I was like, oh, you know, I've got all these computers. I'd really love to, to learn this. So I pulled together the dollar or whatever and got those books, started learning. And I think it was, you know, sort of in my household too, just there were always, you know, math and computer books around. That was just a normal, a normal thing. That's funny because I probably had very similar books because my parents didn't know anything about it, but they bought an Apple II Plus in the early days of computers. And I had an AppleSoft basic introduction to the world and, and some various early basic programming books that would teach you how to like write a game or something. And, and so that's how I got going on it. Yeah, I did guessing games and stuff. That sort of memory always sticks with me. I loved programming and everything, math and, and physics. Always kind of felt like that was going to be what I, I did. You know, I kind of imagined being, you know, a math there and, you know, our physics professor. And, and actually in high school, I had um, this professor that I adored who was kind of this absent-minded um genius professor always had chalk on his hands and he always wore a black shirt and then would rub the chalk on his black shirt that was the model that i i wanted as like i because he was into the stuff you were into yeah 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 and you know he was i mean he just seemed like you know i've always had a hard time deciding things choosing between things and it was like oh this guy is like math and physics and isn't that really great Loved those along with with computers, and and I that made, um, you know, when I also couldn't decide between those things, sort of, you know, Carnegie Mellon was a, a really good fit. Was it a political household? Because that's another strain that obviously was part of your life. And if I look at your LinkedIn, you say uh, about Carnegie Mellon, you say BS, physics, mathematics, history, which seems to pull together those different sides of your interests, but. What, where, what's the, where's that coming from? Well, and I think those are, I mean, I guess two separate things in some ways. Yeah, I was definitely raised in a very progressive household. My dad has, you know, stories about protesting during the Vietnam War. My parents met in Chicago, but then moved out to Massachusetts. And I think that was a very sort of comfortable um, place for their sort of... Uh, you know, progressive selves. And um, I mean, at least the time that I was growing up wasn't a super politically active household, but but a very sort of like strongly held sort of progressive views. My my mom's dad was a bricklayer his whole life. The bricklayers union had done really, you know, well for him. And like that was even I think as other parts of my family drifted more Republican at times, he was always just a um, you know, he was a bricklayer. That union connection was important to him. But, you know, in terms of like the the history, um, I guess, you know, like I said, I, I, first of all, have a hard time deciding things. Second of all, I, I also had this really influential English teacher for this literature elective that like, I think introduced me to lifelong favorite authors. And I, I don't know if it was that or, you know, something you know, if I could see two strains, it's sort of like, oh, I started to get more interested in literature, like read a lot more of that. And then also as a teenager, I loved the, my dad, of course, introduced me to the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov. Are you familiar 
Yeah. And, and it's kind of uh, interesting because it's a little data science-y. It's a little like we can predict the future of civilizations based on patterns and stuff, right? If yep. I remember something. It, exactly. And I think like that was really influential to me and something that I always sort of found myself hearkening back to is like, you know, can we apply sort of math and physics to understand humanity? And I think that also kind of led me into sort of adding, um, you know, history, you know, into the mix. I was thinking, I think, a lot about the dynamics of how populations work. So like, you know, what is, you know, nationalism and how does that like play out and here's all the theories of it and and how it works and develops and you can kind of start to see each of those as like the little building blocks for you know you just have to find a way to like mix in the math but those are kind of like the the shapes of the things that are moving it was like oh this is really interesting and opened up more without any clear sort of sense of um, i had kind of like started to leave behind the i want to be a professor because i was like i don't know what i'm going to be a professor in but those big theories are feeling more and more relevant as the country really is struggling with maintaining the system that it's decided on right now and kind of at risk of other models that other countries have faced to their peril in the past. Was that Carnegie Mellon experience a good one for you? Would you recommend it to other kids like yourself? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I had some great professors there. I feel like I, I got sort of like a world-class education in all of them. That's a pretty good thing to have. You came out though, and looks like you took a programming job, uh, not, uh, and left it after less than a year. What was that first job experience like? I don't know. I, I guess I kind of felt a little sort of derailed at the end of college. Like the thing that I had thought I was going to do, I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that, but I don't exactly know what it is that I, I want to do. And I was sort of having a hard time taking action in that looked for a, a job where my family was the Boston area. Um, and, you know, went to work um, as, uh, you know, a programmer at um, sort of a local investment company and working on tools for, um, you know, for the analysts there it was, you know, end of 2006. Um, and so sort of heading into early 2007, I had kind of sat out for the most part, the 04 campaign, like it was happening around me. I was in, you know, Southwestern Pennsylvania. We got visits from both, you know, Carrie and Edwards because it was an important, important area. Sat and watched as the returns came in and felt very you know, disappointed and kind of vowed as, you know, the new cycle is coming up. It's like, okay, I do want to be more involved in some way this time. So, you know, I went and I, um, you know, researched the different candidates, felt, um, you know, really compelled by then Senator Obama um, and, you know, found some local sort of Cambridge, Somerville area volunteer groups, um, sort of gotten involved with that you know, at some point I was in one of those meetings and the host, she was like, oh, you know, I've been sort of interacting with the person who um, is in, you know, in charge of mybarackobama.com, right, was the the um, Obama social or platformy sort of thing. And it's this 
person named Chris Hughes, and and maybe she said, um, you know, that he helped start Facebook. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> Just a but, random person named Chris. Yeah. Hughes. yeah, but I was like, well, so and then, then the thing is, um, I was like, huh, I went to high school with a guy named Chris Hughes. I don't necessarily know what he's doing, um, but uh, I did what everybody did at that time, which is I went onto Facebook um, and I looked him up and I think his ID number, um, you know, I'm an engineer, so I look at the numbers in the URL bar and his ID number was like five or something. Um, so that must be the same Chris Hughes. And it said, you know, as his job worked on the Obama campaign, I was like, well, um, I guess I do know the Chris Hughes who's at the Obama campaign. So I, I mean, I probably spent like a week mulling this over because it's the sort of thing that I would, um, you know, find it very difficult to do. But I ended up sending him a message just being like, hey, I'm a software engineer, like looking to get involved in the Obama campaign. Like, do you need anything coded up for the website or something? And he was like, oh, and I said like, hey, you know, you may not remember me, you know, because we went, we went to high school together. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. And um like, actually, um, you know, Facebook is launching this new application platform this year. And we have been invited and in, like, we want to be part of the launch, we want to be one of the first, you know, an Obama application to be one of the first applications. Um, do you think you could do that? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, so sort of as a volunteer, I, I coded up um, the, the, you know, Obama Facebook app um super cool i got to go to like the launch event um for the whole like facebook app platform in in san francisco and like work on my app as part of the hackathon there and um you know and of, of course have like um you know chris hughes who was you know kind of like it i mean you know, was he was person. he the was he the same year as you in high school or yep yeah we had some you know, like slightly adjacent circles. So um, I, I had reason to kind of like have bumped into him more than than others. He did all right out of the old Facebook gig. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he did all right. But I, I think it's been interesting kind of his evolution. I caught up with him every once in a while over the years, probably due to, to say, hey, again. But I was kind of... I don't know if impressed was the right word, but like a couple of years ago, he wrote a, um, an op-ed, um, I think it was in the times maybe like calling for the, the breakup of, of Facebook. It like his personal experiences, like, you know, I think it was like, it talked about bringing his kid to dinner with, um, Mark Zuckerberg and like, I mean, kind of like the personal feelings versus like what he sees as the impact that this is having. He's with Sean Eldridge, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sean, for... Sean was like one of my very early guests on the on the podcast. And oh, was, really? Yeah. Yeah. Was... Presumably, that was when they were married, right? Yeah. Are they not yeah. anymore? No, no, they are. They yeah. are. Yeah. 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 Well, the, it, yeah, it was back in that was back in 2017. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 That's um, yeah. Uh, that's that's funny. I, I will have to go look for that one. So to me, that's a kind of a remarkable entry into political tech, right? It's, it's so fortuitous and yet it's 
actually extremely similar, except in the details, to a lot of other people I've heard who had a strong background in tech, had an interest in politics, and uh, you know, even in that even in that same campaign, uh, there was a bunch of people who came from various different interesting stories and happened to be the people that built the team that go on to be big names in this little space that that you referred to uh, in the beginning in the political data hack sentence. Who did you meet um, as you went forward that ended up doing interesting things in the political tech space on the Democratic side? I was very fortunate because, you know, with my story, right, like I'm I'm a like a technology person first. Like I wasn't a political person. I had no experience with campaigns or anything. Um, so I knew basically nothing um, except how to uh, make computers do things. You know, so I was very fortunate that on the technology team at the time, um, the person who was my um, direct manager was a, a guy named Luke Peterson. I'm not sure if you've... I've met him. Yeah, I know him. I was so lucky for for having him as kind of my sort of boss and, um, you know, mentor into the world because he had a lot of, you know, I think at that time he would probably have considered himself one of the sort of like political, you know, data hacks and, um, you know, knew everybody, knew the whole space, knew the, the problems and everything and was, you know, shared his knowledge freely. Um, it was also just like an extraordinarily kind and thoughtful person who I think, you know, ended up being also one of my sort of biggest advocates. I was sort of both nobody and also very young and ended up having some really crazy sort of opportunities. And I think there was part of it was sort of the the sort of trust and, and support um, he gave me, but ended up working with just tons of, of really, you know, great people throughout that some of them, I think, sort of went on political paths and some of them went on different paths. So like we worked really closely with John Carson, um, who was sort of the Feb Five States director. And then sort of later on, I can't remember what his exact, well, exact title was, but sort of like, I think he was for the general sort of like the overall field directors, national field director, maybe. I can't quite remember. Basically, Luke and he were like this and like we ended up putting our like desks there was like the our little data tech team ended up sitting sort of like so that we were looking right over you know dividers at Carson and and his team you know which was was great and um you know did a lot of work um during the primary with Michael Organ who was sort of the ad new media um ad um leader we I loved working with him and we did some really interesting stuff with um, like reporting, um, that ended up sort of during the general moving to Andrew Bleeker, who is now the head of, um, Bully Pulpit, of course, sort of worked really closely during that early, um, during the primary, um, with, um, Michael Slaby, who was the deputy new media director, I think at the time, um, and, you know, kind of was the person who worked on sort of all of the technical, projects that, you know, ended up like we, you know, finding ways to use the BSD tools in certain ways. And so like I did the data movement and he did the like front end, you know, the like BSD pieces and, and all of that. And then of course he became um, during the general sort of like the 
um, they kind of split out, right? The IT, I think, kind of in the the tech um, capacities, and and he kind of stepped into that head of tech role. And then in 2012 was, of course, the um, chief. I don't know, innovation and integration officer or something. And then, of course, you know, during that, like worked with Dan Wagner on the targeting team at the time, which would end up being sort of, um, you know, one of my next steps. And I'm, I'm sure there's tons more people that I am forgetting. Sort of the overall Obama crew, of course, you know, ended up dispersing uh, into various places. And, and it was, I mean, yeah, it was really great opportunity to learn a lot. How much did you absorb the political ups and downs? You're working away at at the tools for doing uh, some of the politics behind the scenes. How much did the, the delegate chase in the primary and the, the battle for the electoral votes affect you? I've worked on so many election night uh, reporting projects in my career now. But I mean, you know, I, I did all the election night reporting projects for the, you know, I mean, for all of those primaries uh, and caucuses, which you're experiencing it as it happens. And then also have to keep all of the, the calculators, you know, running and stuff. You know, and I remember like sitting right by the person who was kind of like our delicate math expert was sitting, you know, right near Carson. And, you know, all of them, I think, um, on, on the other side, but. Well, yes, I was working for Hillary at the time, but one of the, one of the great things about that campaign was I liked both of the, those two candidates and my family was pretty split. And if you're going to lose a primary, it's okay to lose to Barack Obama. It is such a weird thing, like just the, anyway, I ended up working, you know, closely over the years with other, you know, folks who, who were on the, the Clinton campaign and just such a, a hard fought and, you know, at times kind of emotional thing, but that, you know, there is so little between us. And I mean, it's, it's just a very interesting primaries are, are yeah, hard. I like the people who can realize that we're all part of one team in the end. Um, it's just very important. After that campaign, what did you do next? After the the primary, I ended up um, during the general taking on kind of a, a different role as the Obama person who was kind of overseeing the, um, you know, we brought Catalyst in as a voter file vendor. And so there is kind of this triangle of Catalyst and then the DNC as kind of the processor that would provide files to Van um, and sort of like that sort of triangle. And my job was to kind of like work with everybody to make sure that, um, you know, it, it met the, the campaigns. So voter data could flow and be used throughout the states and be processed and be accurate and take advantage of what the DNC had and what was in uh, catalyst. That's right. And I mean, also, you know, to try to bring other things, sources into the mix, like, you know, try to find ways to bring sort of the, you know, online data from BSD into the, the mix. And this was kind of my, my dream during the primary. And I guess why I got kind of, um, 
uh, offered this because I, I was like going in front of everybody with proposals about having like a central data warehouse and so on. Um, and so I think this became sort of like the, well, we're not going to do quite that, but here's. They, they wouldn't let me do that because I think they felt it was competitive to Catalyst that they imagined that was the central data warehouse, but it seemed like something the campaign needed. And maybe if we turn to a general. And I think that, you know, ended up being sort of something that I sort of walked away with, too, was that, like, you know, we didn't really have a way for people to work with all the data and get a full picture. And I think that I carried that sort of with me. My, so I kind of, again, you know, left the campaign with sort of like a, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do precisely like I maybe had some dreams of going into the administration but like didn't really see what that would be and yada yada so kind of wound back up in the Boston area again where my family was and where my um, girlfriend now my my wife was at the time um, and you know didn't quite know what to do I was in the Somerville area so swung by you know van headquarters and I'd, I'd worked with um, you know, Jim and Mark and the team there in my little triangle um, phase and, you know, had had kind of visited the, you know, office a few times during the campaign. And I think so I got to, to meet them and Jim and Mark are just both very, um, again, sort of like thoughtful, caring people who I, I guess, you know, saw me like, not knowing what what to do and like seeing that like I could you know maybe be helpful there and also have something to do so I, I got a job um, working uh, with um, at NGP van or no it wasn't NGP van at the time it's hard to train myself to call it uh, what it was at the time which is van and that was kind of a cool sort of like interlude that was probably uh, you know a good part of 2009. Um, and sort of the early part of 2010. And did they treat you all right? Yes. I had a lot of good chats with, with them. And I mean, yeah, like I said, they're just very, you know, kind and, and generous people. I had a really good, you know, interesting opportunity to experience sort of like the, to see the van system on the inside, like I'd worked with it so much on the Obama campaign. And I got to sort of help build out some of the API pieces and I kind of ended up sort of on a team that did a lot of the crazy experimental um, projects. So how did you make your way out of Van to the DNC? Yeah, so in, you know, I think February or March of 2010, what I do remember is, uh, is like doing, like a vi- visiting the DNC, I think, for like during like one of the, like the, there was a big blizzard or maybe several in 2010 and Dan Wagner, um, who I had, um, you know, I mean, worked with in various capacities and the, you know, when he was on the 2008, um, targeting team, he was, um, I think the deputy data director in Iowa and sort of, I worked closely with him on that. And then, um, he joined the, the targeting team. And so I worked closely with that. He asked me if I wanted to join, um, the DNC was starting up a new targeting team and, you know, he wanted somebody to be sort of responsible for the sort of technology piece of that. You know, I think I was the you know third or fourth person on the team. So there's Dan, his deputy, 
um, Andrew Claster, who um, who you would know, he asked me, and I was like, "Yeah, this is you know, this sounds like the the natural next step. Like, I want to um, you know build out the data tools that um, you know that we need." And it was a really fun experience too. I think being kind of in that early team because I got to sort of help hire everybody. So you know, I did all the the interviews for the analysts and modeling team, and we hired a few engineers as well. And I, I got to um, sort of help with all of that sort of picking and then bringing people on board again. You know, a few years later, I was kind of like the campaign expert for all of these, um, you know, people who uh, who didn't necessarily have any campaign experience. Um, How was Wagner to work with? I mean, you end up having competing to some degree companies. You guys friends? What's he what's he like? I don't really know him. He was good to to work with. We had a, a really close relationship. He was organized and structured, which I think was really um, you know, helpful for me. I I sometimes lose some focus and things. And so like I think he he provided some some structure which was really helpful and he put a lot of, of trust in me again. I think he also ended up sort of becoming very trusted in the rest of the organization, both at the DNC and then at the Obama campaign. He was able to, I think, advocate for things that I was pushing for. We ended up, um, I think, being sort of good collaborators. We were kind of putting together something that at least felt kind of newish, like building this kind of like, you know, analytics sort of targeting team that um, was going to have a lot of data at their fingertips. And in 2010, we started to build out some of the, you know, data warehouse stuff that, I mean, had been my dream for a while before. And there've been this sort of series of waves of data warehouse technology going through the DNC, going back to like 2000 and yours was the Vertica wave and they've replaced that now with BigQuery, I guess. Was that the right choice back then, the platform? You know, how did that become something that then later seemed like it needed wholesale replacement? I don't really understand the ins and outs of that. There's sort of the the technology and the concept. You know, at the time, um, back in 2010. So, you know, at the, so, you know, during 2010, we had kind of cobbled some stuff together. There was um, the uh, Netiza, um, which was uh, a um, sort of a analytics database appliance. So it was like a little mini fridge that was in the basement at the DNC um, and had been sort of powering the voter file, um, you know, team stuff. Um, And that wasn't going to end up sort of working for, what we needed because it was kind of already at capacity and sort of needed to be doing the voter file processing and, and stuff. So we ended up cobbling together a um, Hadoop cluster um, to do a lot of, we called it the analytics file, sort of like our sort of central, like the thing that we, our consistent definitions that would be used for modeling and for, um, for, you know, all the analysis so that, you know, we were all on the the same page. That was 
not going to work. It was okay for sort of like the engineering team to like crank through some stuff, but it wasn't really accessible. And and what I wanted to do was find a way to like open it up to everybody. So like we had a small group at the 2010 team that had access to different things, but you know, the tools were varying levels of accessible. But what we had seen is that like everybody can learn SQL and everybody can use SQL. And, you know, what I, you know, wanted to do was create a place where, um, you know, we could get access to consistent, fresh data across the entire campaign ecosystem in the hands of everybody who needs it on the campaign. So not just that there would be some, you know, analytics team that, that hoarded over everything, but that the field data folks would have, you know, what they needed and the finance folks would have what they needed and the digital folks would have what they would needed. And then we would all be working off of the same, um, you know, definitions and, and systems and tools. And so we did, we kind of launched a search. Um, I had never done an enterprise sort of product buying thing, but I, I got to sort of run that that effort, um, which was a very interesting experience. And so we we sort of evaluated all of the options. And I think Vertigo was far and away the the best, the best of of the bunch, um, you know, for what we we needed to do. And um, and I think it did give us the the power. We did realize the vision of centralizing all of the campaigns data, building sort of standardized definitions on top of it, and then rolling that out to basically every department in the campaign. And Vertica was the the um, you know basis for that as a you know as a technology. Like I said, I, I think it was absolutely the the right choice. As time went on. Different factors have made, I think, the the technology piece made it a change make sense. And unfortunately, there are people who have like these um, really like negative associations when they hear Vertica because they remember times that it you know crashed or whatever. We could probably spend an an hour talking about sort of like the history of how the thing that was sort of the central database, um, you know, lived and breathed and and challenges over the years with how we operated it that made things, you know, harder. I was just thinking that the audience for that might be fairly limited, but I'd be interested, but... Happy to do that some other time. I think switching to... Um, like BigQuery as they've done, you know, makes sense. And I think Vertica has recognized some of the sort of challenges and I think has like made a more cloud-focused product. And so maybe it would still be usable, but like, it doesn't really matter because I think the thing, you know, we talk about, it's it's unfortunate in some ways that we talk about this thing as like, we never gave it a name other than Vertica. So people talked about it as Vertica and now people talk about it as BigQuery. But the thing is, it's it's still the same like it's still an implementation of of the same sort of concept operating in the same way and bigquery is now i think a, a good a very good technology choice for the purposes i mean there are are others um like i said i mean possibly you know even vertica but that like you know what bigquery is doing is the same thing that vertica was was doing is like you know it's it's providing that that central hub um you know that's available to everybody who needs it 
and you know everybody gets their space like that was one of the big things that was really important and i think was a struggle with like there weren't a lot of databases you know vertica in some sense included that like really embraced the idea of like we're not going to just have you know some data marts and stuff that like people are going to run some select statements off of every once in a while and isn't that great like we're going to let people go in here and just like do whatever they need to do. They can create whatever new tables they want. They can, you know, go to town because like, we're not in the business of telling people how to do their jobs. Like we don't want the technology to be the friction. Like we want to have the technology be an, an enabler and you and that, that creates some technology challenges. Um, but, you know, absolutely the right choice. In the 08 campaign, you're working on a, a data hub for Obama in the campaign. In the 012 campaign, you're doing something similar, but over at the DNC. What was the difference in the feeling of being at the party committee that's in charge of the presidential stuff versus being in the campaign itself? Or how much were you back and forth? I was I was back and forth. So I was kind of like dual appointed as sort of, um, you know, my my official title was director of data architecture um, at the DNC. And so in that capacity, I sort of oversaw the sort of DNC managed resources. Vertica was a thing living at the DNC. Um, and um, I also had the, the sort of DNC voter file team was um, was, was part of my team, but then I was also sort of acting as the, um, the head of the OFA analytics team, sort of like tech team, um, which was kind of like a joint project of the analytics and, um, OFA tech or engineering team. I was spending sort of a few weeks here, a few weeks there, kind of back and forth between them. So I was in the thick of it, um, again, and I, I assume enjoying that. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely hard at times and certainly like being, you know, in the Obama office can be sort of all consuming, but we did a lot and we were able largely, I think, to, you know, to realize what I had kind of like had been my dream on the campaign and, um, you know, and, and I, that was, um, does it feel like it made a difference? Like, you know, what, one of the things that has always challenged me being in the tech part of politics is, is how much it seems to operate at the margin. In fact, I put together a book margin of victory, basically chapters by people in the space. And I guess everybody in politics can only matter to a little degree. It's such a big country, but do you think when you look back on on what you did, like, do you think it affected the outcome much? How do you evaluate that? It's definitely at the margin, and you know, and, and surely only a few points. But I do think that you know, uh, part of what we realized, or like you know, brought into being on the you know, as a technology thing was to reduce the friction of like data driven activity and decision making on the, you know, campaign. So like, we want to put together 
good field plans. And, you know, the field team is always going to do that. It's hard to say what the impact is, but like, I think we have made it easier to operate campaigns. You don't have everybody in every office making like really like spending a lot of time, like making decisions that, you know, like trying to cut the the perfect list. You could talk about like lost sort of local knowledge and, you know, and there are certainly things there, but like, you know, the, the tools and sort of infrastructure we made, I think make in some ways campaigns more efficient um, so that they can focus on other problems. Like, hey, like let's help the field team spend less time worrying about like whose door to knock on and more about like what they're going to say or like if there are grand sort of like, um, you know, sweeps that can be made. Yeah. It's not going to be made by like having the perfect numbers, but like, let's make it so that nobody has to bang their head against the ideas that they come up with, like that the digital team, we did run some really, I think, um, I mean, I don't know if innovative is the right word, but like some really cool programs, I think in, in 12 that I think, I mean, my sense was that this had been a dream of like field folks for a long time. Like these, um, we had this system called Airwolf. It was named um, uh, by this, this brilliant guy who was on the, um, on the analytics team, uh, Kit Rodolfa. Um, he's probably hating that I'm mentioning his name if he does listen to this. We used the infrastructure that we created, Vertica, in, in the system that our team built called Stork um, for like pushing out um, tooling around the database to people to like create this dynamic email program that was based around email chase campaigns for early vote. Um, so we were able to sort of like link up all of our email data and sort of like the early vote and stuff data as it was coming in and create like reminders and stuff throughout the process for people. Um, and it was this dynamic system, like, you know, running every day and like doing things that probably did like get people along the, the process and um, was made possible by this. Certainly at the margins, but also like we did make it more efficient and effective to run a campaign in a way that let people focus on other problems, which is important. Where along here had you met the people that you went on to found Blue Labs with? And I don't really know the story. I understand that like out of this second campaign come Civis, one analytics group and Blue Labs, another one. Some people went one way, some people went other way, kind of like back in the day, there was Blue State Digital and Echo Ditto coming out of the 2004 campaign. Tell the story, that sort of founding story of, of that, of Blue Labs and... Different people, you know, were sort of coming out of the 2012 campaign, wanting to, you know, carry on what we had done. There were sort of different people with sort of, you know, different ideas about, um, you know, I, like what we wanted to do and, and how we wanted to, to do it. I did sort of end up, um, uh, you know, with several, several different groups coming out of the campaign. And um, so the, you know, the, the founding group of Blue Labs was all sort of folks from the team. I mean, it's been sort of people who've been <laughs> with me now in some way since uh, 2010. So it was me, um, Alon Kriegel, um, Dan Porter, um, Eric Diskant, um, and then there were two other um, folks, um, Aaron Hartman and Matt Holloway, who ended up 
um, sort of leaving a little bit um, sort of relatively early in the process because they kind of wanted to to go in and do different things. But Alon, um, Dan Porter, Colin Porter, um, and Eric were all folks that I helped hire onto the um, 2010 targeting team. So, you know, kind of had been, uh, you know, working very closely um, with them. For a while, I had sort of a, um, I guess, a signature um, look, uh, which was that um, for quite a while, I wore um, a tie every day. There are a lot of people who are very casual. Um, but I, here, you know, here I was showing up uh, with a tie. And, and that actually started um, Alon's first day was a Friday. And he was starting before we had everybody on the like who had hired on the 2010 team starting on the same day, which was like a Monday or maybe it was a Tuesday. I don't remember. But it, I think, I think it was a Monday, but everybody, uh, but so Alon just for whatever reason had come early. So he comes to the office on a Friday, doesn't know anybody, nobody else in sort of his cohort started yet. He actually worked, he knew Dan Porter, who we also hired um, and didn't know anybody. So I was like, oh, okay, let's go grab dinner. It's Friday night. We went there, got dinner. He was talking about how like he was kind of uncomfortable with how casual he had shown up like in maybe not a suit, and t- but like, you know, in kind of like dress pants and like, uh, you know, a, um, a nice you know dress shirt and a tie. And he's talking about how like uncomfortable he would be sort of like wearing casual clothes because he had come from this like radio and TV world that, um, you know, everybody was wearing suits and things and. Um, you know, and that's kind of like how he was used to dressing for work. I like ties. Like, I mean, I would like a reason to wear a tie, so I'll wear a tie. Um, so I, you know, show up on Monday uh, with a tie. Like I, you know, picked one that matched my shirt. I felt really good about it. Show up and Alon shows up uh, in just like a t-shirt. And I'm like, <laughs> wait a second. This, this is not what we talked about. And he was like, oh yeah, yeah okay, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And then I think, you know, on Tuesday I show up again um, and he's like, I, I don't think he, he wore a tie that day either. What did this tell you about being partners with a guy like a duplicitous fellow like that? <laughs> I think he wanted to feel, you know, comfortable and so on. And I was like, but I was like, you know, I actually kind of like, I, I enjoy this. Um, it ended up becoming a, um, we would have targeting tie Tuesdays where people would, uh, ultimately, um, I think after I'd gotten stood up again, like this became something that the team did uh was to to have targeting tie tuesdays but i i kept on wearing a tie all the way until sometime in 2018 um when my daughter um when i went back to work after being out on paternity leave and i was putting on my ties and finding that my daughter who was starting on on solid foods i guess was like you know just grabbing my tie with a yogurt hand or something and i was like oh i'm not gonna do this anymore <laughs> but well yeah. that's a, a interesting excursion into your sartorial, sartorial yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you first meet this guy who later goes on to be your partner um did you feel a compatibility did that come with time i mean partnership i don't know about your, what your partnership is like but when i've been in like entrepreneur groups there's always huge amounts of conversations about partnership because it's not an easy thing like marriage to run an enterprise to build an enterprise with other people who think differently who have their own brains what was the feel like and how did it how did that relationship develop 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I think like we did, you know, hit it off, you know, early on during 2012, because I was kind of back and forth between, um, you know, DC and Chicago. Um, I ended up like, you know, he had a, an extra, you know, room in his apartment. And so I ended up sort of crashing there. And so, you know, we kind of spent a lot of time together in that sense. But I mean, I think even before that, we had gotten along really well. I guess if, you know, like Dan and Andrew, you know, the director and deputy director of the targeting team were kind of like busy with the management and the politics and sort of everything. Um, And I was the guy, I think, um, especially with the, so, you know, Alon and Porter were the the modeling team. So um, they were the people sort of like building the models. You know, I was working, you know, very closely with them and teaching them about sort of like campaigns and, and everything. And like, I'm a math guy. So, you know, it was just natural to sort of work on, on problems with them. And, and I think, you know, we, we all sort of um, were able to, to work together really well. And Alan, you know, is, is a very a thoughtful, caring person. I, I can't like pinpoint a, like a, a point in time when um, like, you know, we, clicked or anything. Tell me about the forming of this enterprise. What did you aspire to do and what's the beginning like? None of us had had done this before. We didn't have any sort of business background. I, I think um and I think we didn't exactly know what it was going to be. Like we knew that like we were we had done some really cool things and we had a sense that like both in the sort of the broader progressive space, there would be a need for it. Um, And of course, you know, campaigns going forward, there would be a need. And that like, probably, you know, from what we could see, like some of the things that we were doing, were kind of like, you know, on the edge of what was, you know, happening in the commercial world. So like, you know, across that whole sort of thing, I think we were like, okay, there's a need for this. You know, I think we had kind of a vision. I need to write things down to like develop you know, ideas. And so I, I think I wrote something that was kind of like, we, we had kind of like this idea that we would be kind of a sort of a hybrid consulting and tech company. And the idea was kind of to um, like first catch some fish for some people so that they could eat. And then we would, you know, show them how to fish and then like, you know, and then kind of like, sell them the equipment and occasional like refresher lessons or something to kind of fish afterwards. Like it was definitely always part of our kind of like vision. I think that like, just like on the campaign, right. That like organizations would become in some, you know, areas, you know, self-sufficient. And so it'd be kind of like this hybrid of, um, you know, of, of consulting and filling the gaps in the technology infrastructure there's the economics of you know the tech of technology in general and the economics of of politics and the economics of political technology and and the economics of consulting and uh, you know we are a bootstrapped um, company so that sort of like fit into things too and um, you know I think it kind of like pushed us more towards the consulting work you know, and kind of less of that that hybrid model over time. How did you find your first clients? Our very first client, I think, was 
the McAuliffe campaign in 2000. Um, Virginia governor's 2013, race. Virginia governor's race in, in 2013. Um, I think that was McAuliffe, right? Because he's going for it again. Right. So that was actually our very um, first client, I think. Um, you know, and that was like, I think, you know, connections from, um, you know, the campaign. I think, you know, Alon in particular is somebody who um, made a lot of really strong connections with people. That's always been like, again, I think he's got that, that like kind, generous disposition. And, you know, I think people like talking to him and he's, you know, he's good at meeting people where they are and sort of explaining things and trying to accommodate things. So are you basically then offering them an sort of outside analytics consulting for that campaign? Yeah, I mean, basically, we're your, you know, Obama analytics team, right? As you know, essentially, you know, we can sort of fill the gaps, like you're not going to put together a team like, you know, we did, but like, we can do, you know, all the same things from the polling and the modeling and the field sort of targeting plans and you know, where you should put your offices and, and whatever. Did you, um, was it easy to find work? Did you have to hustle for it? What was the path like? Um, I mean, I think we had to hustle for it. And I, I think, I mean, that was in large part like Alon. He took the CEO role, is that? Not mm-hmm. at the, the time. We didn't really have a, a formal sort of CEO. We were kind of like a, uh, partners. You know, a, yeah. We sort of ended up bringing on, um, Lindsay Shu Cortez, um, who had been at SEIU. Um, I can't remember who connected us, maybe Brian Whitaker, who I know you've had, had on. Um, but, um, she kind of joined us, uh, fairly early as, um, COO. And then eventually we made her the CEO. And then a few years back, she went to the, the DNC and, um, uh, you know, and Alon eventually stepped up into that role. But I think in a lot of ways, I mean, he'd always been sort of like certainly on the, the you know, the the outward facing, like, you know, sort of business getter. He was really good at, at sort of creating and sustaining um, relationships and people would trust him. And, and I think, you know, we became very trusted. And so, you know, I, I think it's always hard in, in politics and there's cycles and so on. Um, but you know, we, we had an advantage of being like fairly trusted. I mean, we had a good, you know, a strong pedigree and then also like, I mean, we, um, you were trustworthy. We were, yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, I I think we proved ourselves and, and, um, and, you know, you know, word got around and, and so on. Um, how did you view the competitive market for, for the kind of services that, that you provided? Like I'm, I'm aware of clarity. I know uh, David Radloff and and people there. I don't know the Civis people as well, but I, you know, they've they've done well. And they, in contrast, to you raised a bunch of money and had, you know, a different trajectory probably because of that. How did you view the market as you entered it and went forward? You know, in some ways, I you know, for better or for worse, I'm I'm not sure we we spent a lot of time thinking about it. We knew what our strengths were um and you know we felt like you know we could talk about them and i think in some cases you know folks went for example like um 
you know, Civis, you know, had invested more in sort of technology. And so, and when that was compelling with folks, they they kind of went that way. I think we, we're sometimes sort of higher touch. And, you know, when that was what people were looking for, they, you know, went with us. I guess we kind of knew that in the political space, like it was just going to be kind of like, you know, it's, it's just going to get, you know, carved up and like, you know, we're going to win some, we're going to lose some, but there's also mm-hmm. sort of plenty of opportunity outside of the the political space too. And we're never going to be sort of like directly competing there. Over time, what did your mix of business tend to look like? How much was political? How much was like government versus corporate and nonprofit? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously early on, it was very heavily weighted towards sort of like political and, um, you know, and, and sort of like some of the, you know, broader advocacy space. Even early on, we had some some sort of some interesting corporate clients, even years, right? Like we have a, a you know, lean more heavily on, on sort of politics and advocacy um, and, you know, on odd years, you know, more on um you know, on, on other things. Um, but also, I mean, what's been really interesting has been our, um, our government practice too. So 2013, 2014, um, we ended up sort of being brought in to, um, this was kind of like after, I think it was on kind of like entering year two of healthcare.gov. Um, and so, I mean, we all know how year one had gone. Um, and, you know, there was a big push to create sort of like a, you know, they had kind of shored up the website and stuff, but they fe- realized that they needed like a better communications program. And so there was like the idea that, you know, they need to build sort of more of a, you know, an Obama campaign style ability to like communicate with people um, and know who they should communicate with and create some some smart like email, phone, whatever programs um, to, to get people through the enrollment process, which was still, I mean, difficult, like health insurance is difficult. Actually, a theme of, of work that we did was sort of doing audits um, where we would like go into an organization and like interview people and like try to sort of, you know, look at their systems and kind of like be like, okay, this is kind of like what, you know, how you should think about like, you know, if you want to do more with sort of data and analytics, like here are, you know, our recommendations. And so we kind of did that for, and then we ended up sort of being brought in to sort of run the sort of data analytics side for um, the healthcare.gov outreach work. And that actually kind of created a seed that has grown into, um, you know, we've been doing that work since, like I said, 2013 and 2014. And that program has expanded in our work, in particular with the um, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is where healthcare.gov lives, um, has kind of expanded to encompass sort of more and more, you know, different areas. So I mean, we're working on a similar program for, you know, Medicare and a variety of other projects. So our, our government business has actually become, a, you know, a bigger and bigger thing. Um, so is it like more than half the business now? Um, I wouldn't say it's it's more than half the business, probably. And again, it's, you have kept to do kind of like averaging over, you know, even in odd years and, and so on. But, um, you know, I, I think it, it, at times it's like a, a solid um, third. It seems like a good fit for maybe some of your preferences, like you're trying to make the country be governed better and you're you get you get into the weeds of 
of how we deliver services and things like that. I'm, what's another project that you've done government-wide that you're proud of and is interesting? Our sort of government practice owes a lot to um, to Eric Diskant, who is one of our our founders and is somebody who um, you know I, I think works really effectively at the intersection between sort of like social good and technology um, and thinking about like how you know programs can be improved to help you know the people who most need it. And I think Eric, he kind of leads leads that that work for us, and and kind of all of the sort of growth, um, you know, in our our government work has been his um, sort of hard work and and his his vision for that. We sort of started with the healthcare.gov um, sort of outreach program, which again is still going on and growing, and um, uh, it's actually interesting. We get to do. Um, uh, an experiment as, as part of that, um, to sort of hold out people from, you know, a a very small sort of set from, from communication and, um, to validate that the program is having some effect. And, and so we do know that like, it's, it's having sort of a considerable effect on, um, getting people to enroll. We've sort of been able to work on the expansion of that to the even larger Medicare program last year, um, we got to help with sort of the data and technology side of, um, you know, when they were trying to rapidly put together a program to respond internally. So this is kind of funny because it's within, you know, HHS, but like they, you know, employ between sort of people they employ and contractors, it's like 40,000 people or something. So it's like a, a small city. <laughs> they were putting together their own program for how they are sort of tracking COVID like within their organization and like how they're dealing with that. Um, Especially because, you know, I mean, they're doing absolutely critical stuff. Like you can't. So you guys are really, really doing consulting way more so than product. You're like, these are all unique uh, applications of your different talents and, and skills. How big of a enterprise has this become? How many people are employed? Um, the, you know, numbers are always changing, but I think there's about 70, um, right now. I think that's probably a a safe, safe number. That's got to feel pretty good to have helped put together an enterprise of that size and, and success. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's wild. I think I can't remember the exact number, but I think, you know, when you cross the 50 threshold or so there's, you know, end up being all sorts of new, like, uh, things that new you regulations, have to, yes. new regulations yeah. and things that you have to deal with. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, 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 it's a it's, mixed blessing to get over that, but it still um, means that you're doing a lot of things. Yeah, but it is, it is really cool. And yeah, I mean, you're right that like, um, you know, we're, we're definitely, you know, what I would say is that kind of our consulting work is, um, you know, is often, I mean, even if you look at our government work, like we're trusted for a particular reason, which is, that you know, we know how to stand up like data infrastructure. We know how to build teams, particularly around like um, you know dealing with individuals, like individual outreach and so on, and sort of like build data-driven programs around that. And so, um, you know, thinking about sort of like the technology, that's also what we've gotten good at is like to be able to assemble that. Like we can go in and you know and create like the the systems 
that you need and, you know, design the teams. I want to ask you, going back to politics a bit, um, I I know that you guys were really central to the 2006 Hillary campaign and their analytics effort. I'm sure that's another book, but um, can you just describe sort of what that was like? What, What was the involvement and... You know, obviously it's a very painful election for the country and the world, but just talk about, you know, Blue Labs and 2016. You know, we had worked um, very closely um, with uh, Robbie Mook. Um, He was actually the um, campaign director, I think I want to say now for the the 2000. 13 McAuliffe campaign. All right. And he's been on the show too. So, but I don't remember if we talked about this it's been a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, so we, we worked really closely with him and I think his kind of like, you know, right-hand person, Michael Halley was another person who we'd worked closely with before. And so, you know, we had been talking with them early in different capacities about like, you know, just, I mean, even as they were starting to set things up um, and, and figure out what they were doing and, and sort of creating things. And then, of course, Alon um, ended up kind of taking, um, you know, a leave of absence, if you will, from from Blue Labs to be the, you know, I, what do they call it? Chief Analytics Officer, I think, um, on the, the Clinton campaign. Alon had a, a, a sort of a, a fine line to, to walk there to of how much to you know, involve, you know, his company or not and like, you know, making all those decisions and um, definitely not, not easy. And of course, you know, there's a lot of resources at the the campaign to just, you know, bring people in full time and, and, you know, do all that. And so that, I mean, that's, um, was. Um, Did you have involvement personally? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and so, I mean, yeah, there were different capacities that, that we ended up working on. So, I mean, I was, um, we were consulting with the, um, like, sort of ever since, you know, we started up in 2013, we had um, sort of a consulting contract with the DNC to, you know, help them sort of, you know, continue sort of supporting and, and, and building out the data infrastructure. Um, and so sort of going into 2016, um, I was working with the DNC and sort of supporting them in supporting the Clinton campaign. And of course, sort of like going out to the Clinton campaign and sort of, you know, helping, you know, in any way I could. So the Clinton campaign ended up having a, um, under the technology team, they had a um, team to support the analytics team. Um, and, uh, you know, I sort of both through the DNC and through kind of like my um you know, just sort of like the sort of Blue Labs connection ended up supporting, um, you know, supporting that team. Um, not not nearly as hands-on as as in 2012, more in a sort of like, um, you know, uh, advisory capacity. Um, Whenever in politics things go wrong and you lose narrowly, everyone likes to like f- fix on a particular cause of that and, how do you look back at sort of resource allocation across the blue wall and and all of the things that that are associated with some some of the analytics team and I'm sure are far more complicated than the press reports upon I have a lot of trust and and confidence in Alon like I I believe that 
um, you know, he was, was making the best possible decisions under the information that, you know, was available. It's really easy in retrospect to look back and, and, you know, and of course some people guessed right. Um, and, you know, good for, good for you, um, pat yourself on the back, uh, and now do it, you know, 10 more times. Like they're just, you know, we don't know enough about elections. And frankly, like this was so different. They're not, uh, determined. They're contingent. They're, you know, it's a, it's a something of a chaotic system, right? It's yeah. And we, you know, we learn things and I think we're learning a lot. Maybe, you know, maybe there was a time when elections were more static, but certainly there was a huge change in social media. And I mean, Donald Trump as a candidate and his relationship with social media, right. Was a big change. And I mean, there's just so many dimensions that it's very complicated. <laughs> Yeah. And and now we know a lot more and there are things that we can look out for. And that doesn't mean we're going to win every election in the future um, either. Right. Like it just means that, uh, you know, now we've learned some some lessons and that's obviously very important. And I've always been the the technology guy. I feel like I I struggle, you know, at parties when people find out that I've been in politics and then they want to like talk about politics. And I'm like, well, there's a lot I know about how campaigns work, but like, I mean, I'm not really the guy who's who can speculate about should somebody have done this or that, unless it's talking about how they built their data infrastructure. When you look at like the way 538 or you know some of their competitors cover politics, you know, the averaging of polls and then sort of the interpretation that they put on it each day as a professional in the field of, of data science and politics. How do you view that? Do you view that as entertainment? Do you think they're really good at it? What, what do you think? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's really hard to say it is providing a service. Like they weren't predicting that like Clinton was definitely going to win in 2016. Things went, you know, a very different way, but sometimes that happens. And if you flip a, like a coin, it's, you know, it doesn't like switch from heads to tails every time or something. If I remember, there were quite some series of events in the last two weeks that, you know, that moved voters. And then there were lots of efforts to keep voters on the sidelines. And there was a lot of negative campaigning that, that soured people. And there was various interventions. The two points that that maybe moved it probably made the difference. This thing that I can't believe I didn't think about it earlier, but something that I, I just always find like interesting about sort of in 2012 um we did a lot of of polling sort of internal polling to feed models and also to sort of track things or like the the analytics team um like did a lot of polling to the level that like we were doing you know stuff every day but like a lot more than like usual tracking polls too, like a lot more interviews every day than usual tracking polls. And we also built some of our own internal version of, of 538, um, but it was being fed with um, with a lot more data than was publicly available because we were doing in way 2012. more- In 2012. In yeah. 2012, because we were doing way more IDs. Was that not happening day. as much in 2016? Um, I believe it was happening in 2016. Um, but I mean, so, I mean, the, you know, as you say is that sort of, do you remember like 
Obama had a really bad debate. I can't remember which one it was, the first debate um, in 2012. Kind of typical um, for an incumbent. You have to descend down to that stage. Yeah. And so, you know, if you remember then, you know, eventually the polling was um, like dipped, you know, maybe like seven days later or something or like the public polling. Right. And so it kind of created if you looked at the sort of the trajectory that people were talking about, it was like, oh, like Obama's now on a, like a downward trajectory. Like, is he going to lose everybody panic? With our sort of more, I mean, more IDs every day, basically, like we saw a couple of things which like affected how the whole campaign, I think, operated right away. There were a couple of lessons. It was first of all, like we knew that like the day or, you know, after the debate, like he was down several points. Like, I don't remember how much, but like that dip was real. So like what happens in those debates matters. That was something that we learned. Like, you know, I don't know, we don't necessarily know, but like there is actually like, you know, a change that could only be attributed to. From what I've learned from talking to pollsters, sometimes that has to do with who is willing to be polled. It's pretty complicated to actually track those moves, but in one way or another, that's the same as an election, right? Who's going to show up right. or not? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think it was real. And, but what also we knew was that, like, immediately afterwards, he started rising again. But in any event, like his dip, like the lowest point his dip was. And I think the problem was that people were looking at a trajectory and thinking with less. They were extrapolating. They were extrapolating yeah. that this is just like a downward spiral. Where it was, was um, like where he was, like after the dip, I think it was where he was like during the um, the convention, which was extremely high. And everybody was saying like, Obama has this, you know, like, like in the bag, like, and so it's just like the, so it was the same numbers, but people were interpreting it in a very different way. So we had both that, like, you know, what happens in the debate is real, like what happened mattered, and he needed to do better the next time, if we were going to like, win, but like, it wasn't the horror story of like, you know, now he's crashing that everybody was anticipating. That was, I think, reassuring for the campaign. Like that was a message that, you know, was, was, you know, spread that like, we knew that things were going still well okay. still, but like he had to do better next time. And he knew it, right? Like he had the information and he knew that the performance mattered and, you know, he was going to do everything to not have that, that same thing. And he did, you know, extremely well, I think the second debate and we won yada yada, but. So any other thoughts about 2016? No, I mean, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't feel qualified to, um, you know, speculate on it. You know, I do think it was a new, you know, new dynamics at play that we have to start to, you know, deal with going back to kind of like the sort of the marginal impact piece. I think like we have gotten really good in a lot of ways at the, the technology pieces of politics. You look at the data and, and analytics and, um, you know, there are things that that certainly can be improved. And again, like efficiencies that make it easier to operate campaigns. Um, but like we may be moving into a space where we're not going to change the outcomes based on that. And like the next 
big thing is, you know, is figuring out, I don't know, how to like deal with, you know, Fox News or whatever. And I don't know that anybody has like the the answer to that. And like, maybe it's not an answer that's going to come from technology or anything, right? Like, maybe it's an answer that's going to come from regulation or, you know, changing dynamics in like, in education over time, or, you know, who knows what it is, but like, I don't think that there's a magic bullet. Were you involved in the 2020 race? Not especially, uh, you know, at, at that point, I was pretty sort of hands off on the the political side. And I mean, Blue Labs did in various capacities, you know, helped out, um, and also provided, you know, several of the, the staff, the folks there like Becca Siegel, um, were uh, Blue Labs alum, I wasn't very directly involved. You posted on LinkedIn this summer something about moving from CTO of Blue Labs to some kind of emeritus advisor status. What's behind that? What choice are you making there and um, what are you up to? Blue Labs, you know, is kind of at heart sort of a, a consulting firm. And we have a sort of a technology core that helps us, um, you know, do the work that we do. What's happened is that um, a lot of the technology for sort of data and analytics that, um, that I mean, frankly, didn't exist um, in, or was sort of nascent, um, you know, back in, you know, 2012 or whatever, um, you know, is, is like commodity now. There's a lot of really cool, you know, commercial and open source projects that like provide um, a lot of the the capacity that um, organizations need. And I think that's kind of like Blue Labs has been able to, you know, sort of, we've kind of steered through transitions of like, you know, finding those things and sort of building a core that is now, um, you know, just a really like solid sort of beating heart. And at the same time, like building out um, a team that's, um, you know, able to, to, you know, carry that, that vision um, forward. Um, you know, without me needing to be and sort of create visions of their own without sort of me needing to be as as hands on. And so, you know, it's just kind of like looking at everything a good time for, um, you know, for me to be like, you know, hey, I don't I don't need to be steering um, this sort of like technology ship anymore. They're good people at the helm. It sounds like you're kind of looking for new direction. Yeah, I mean, sort of able to, to step back. So still, um, you know, helping out. I've got a lot of, uh, you know, historical knowledge and, and so on. So still kind of like helping things keep going. How much of your time do you think will be Blue Labs over the next year? And how much will be other projects? Yeah, I mean, it's fluctuating. It's probably like you know, maybe a, a quarter of my time, again, it kind of ebbs and flows based on sort of what's what's happening. So I mean, that's a rough estimate. And so, you know, now I'm, yeah, sort of looking to take on other projects and, you know, doing a lot of talking with people and figuring out. I mean, would, would you want to hook up with a different firm? Do you want to start a new firm? Do you want to consult on your own? If you had your druthers, what would what would your life look like? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm definitely at this, like, I have a little bit of time to, to figure out what it is. A little that, bit of a crossroads. You know, yeah, and, and I am, you know, I've been doing this thing, like, on a pretty much, you know, I've sort of told my story. It, it can be tiring, right? Sometimes you burn out a little bit. Do you think there's some of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think, um, 
you know, particularly technology in the political space can be just very difficult. Um, and, you know, I am somebody who loves sort of technology and technology sort of problem solving at heart engineering. Like I, you know, that's what, um, you know, I, I think that's kind of like my, that's your home. That's your original trajectory, right? Yeah. Right. I've loved sort of the work in the social good. I mean, you know, feeling, I mean, like I've, you know, done something, um, that is, you know, making people's lives better. Um, you know, and I, I want to do that. I mean, I also want to look for like some new sort of technology challenges. Like I've, you know, I've done sort of the same kind of technology challenge too for a, a while and sort of like figuring out like, what is the, the next thing, like I said, you know, sort of talking to a lot of people and just trying to figure out like, Hey, what are the kinds of, of problems that, you know, people, um, well, I'm sure, I mean, sure. Anyone with your skills and track record would have a lot of choices. Have you sort of killed off the entrepreneurial bug with blue labs or do you have an urge to do another startup? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Um, I, you know, if I could, uh, yeah, you know, have, a um, you know, another boss, like that's obviously a, um, you know, consideration it's tough when you haven't had a boss to go back to having a boss, I suspect. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that I want to start another thing, especially mm-hmm. I've got, you know, a, a, um, a almost four year old and an almost one year old now. And oh, yeah. You're a busy man. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I'm just, you know, like right now it's sort of like trying to to figure out like, is it, yeah, do like, what is it? How do I want to fit in? Do I want to, you know, uh, um, you know, do I want to work somewhere big already and just like become a cog in the machine? Or do I want to try to start something new? Or can I find something where that's early on and, you know, they need uh, someone like me? I, My advice unsolicited would be, to take your time, you know, and, and get a little bit of space and like after a breakup, almost like don't get right into the next relationship. You got to clear your head and, and look at the options. Yeah. I mean, no, and, and that's, that's kind of, that's kind of where my head is at right now. And we also took some, you know, family trips earlier in the, the summer. And so, yeah, I mean, I think now I'm really starting to settle into the like, you know, serious, like having a lot of conversations, you know, you know, getting a lot of information, but also sometimes telling people like, Hey, that's a really interesting project you're talking about, but I don't think I'm quite ready to, um, to do that yet. Just because, uh, you know, I, I want to have some, some space to like, to not just do the next thing that sounds somewhat interesting, but to like, yeah, get a, a sense. So who's running Blue Labs now? Um, so, I mean, Alan has been the um, CEO and, and so he's sort of continuing that and, um, and um, you know, and the, and the other, you know, founders are, are um, so Porter and, um, and Eric, um, you know, are, are, are there and, um, you know, like I said, you know, for example, like Eric is really the vision sort of, of, of you know, of that um, and, you know, I think has some really exciting things coming down the, the pike and um yeah so the, you know they're um they're uh, they're good yeah they're 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 good a lot of of good things to to come chris is there a question i didn't ask that i should have one thing that i i guess i would add is i've tried to 
uh, you know, mention people who have been sort of, you know, very influential on me and I'm, you know, very grateful to them. And I, I mean, I hope they know that, you know, especially if I'm, you know, between like, you know, maybe I'm moving on from, uh, you know, politics, you know, whatever, um, you know, thinking about like, what have I done? And like, you know, how should I, I look at my time? And um, I think, you know, one of the things that, that ultimately I'm sort of most proud of, and it also has been so, um, I've been so fortunate for is to like, the, the people that I've gotten a chance to, um, you know, kind of like take, you know, into our team and like, you know, it's like, and, you know, work with and mentor and so on. And it's hard when they move on, but also like, I'm, I'm so like happy that, you know, there are, you know, people going on from Blue Labs to keep on doing the, um, you know, the work that, that we started and, you know, various different capacities. And a lot of the, the folks that we've brought on have gone to different organizations across the space and, you know, are still contributing and was able to, to you know, a lot of times sort of bring them into the space. And, and that feels really good. And that's, you know, the people who did that for me, like I wouldn't, wouldn't be here without them. I understand that feeling of, of gratitude. No accomplishment is made alone. You've done a big thing in the space and you've helped other people and other people have helped you. And I'm glad you took the time to note that. Um, anything else you want to say? It's really been an honor to talk to you. No, I mean, I, I, you know, I told you about my, uh, my, my, uh, jitters around this, but this has been asked good questions and I've, uh, you know, it's been a, a good, good time and I'm glad we got to, to talk and yeah, maybe sometime we can, we can set up some time to, to talk about all the nitty gritty. That was Chris Wegerson. Chris is at bluelabs.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.